listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Thanks for joining me, by the way. We're going to start tonight and all week this week. We're going to be doing this series on understanding your divine dominion. This is so, so important. This topic is so vital for today, especially understanding your divine dominion as a child of God. And um, I was just talking to a friend of mine before I came on the broadcast, and it's kind of interesting to me how, um, you know, there's all different kinds of Christianity, meaning many denominations, many different types of belief systems within Christianity. And we've covered some of that on the broadcast. There's people that um, don't believe in the Holy Spirit's manifestations or moving anymore. Don't believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that's for today, healing, miracles, a lot of different belief systems regarding many things. But one of the things that I'm recognizing is even among Pentecostal believers, there's even divisions or uh, discrepancies even among Pentecostal believers. You know, you can go into many denominational Pentecostal churches today in America, and um, they're not going to—they're not going to all believe the same thing. Sadly, though they should, because the Bible teaches those things. They—they're not going to. And some of the churches even might believe those things on paper, but then in practice they don't do them. For example, you might have a church that believes in healing on paper, meaning it's it's in their uh, doctrinal belief statement. You know, well, yep, that's one of the things our denomination believes, divine healing. But then in their church services, they don't actually ever lay hands on the sick. They don't ever pray for people that are sick. You know, uh, many of those things just don't happen. So they, they believe it on paper and on their website, but they don't practice it. And um, that's why I want to cover this this week, because understanding dominion, is the one one of the most important things that you could ever understand as a believer as you live on this earth. And uh, so that's what we're jumping into tonight, starting this brand new series tonight all the way through Saturday night. And uh, congratulations to Brandon for being first commenter of the night on YouTube and uh, and also second on Facebook. Look at Caitlin, longest 10 minutes of my life from 8.50 to 9 o'clock. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Hey, Mason, Letty. Uh, Mary Sue and Tanya, Jackie Blake, Chastity. Good to see everybody tonight. Lisa, there's my uh, mother-in-law, Suzanne and Larry watching and uh, Heavenly's on. Uh, good to see Ed and Colleen and Lynn Ann. <clears throat> good to see everybody, man. I'm glad you're here with me. Uh, share the broadcast if you haven't got a chance to do so. Uh, I'm going to get right into teaching because I feel the Holy Ghost tonight on this subject. I've been meditating on it all day long and um, the Lord's been giving me things to show you. And uh, I want to start really at the basics because if you don't, if you've never been taught, hey, Joseph and Jessica, if you've never been taught on the subject of dominion, if you don't have an understanding of it, you've got to go back and understand the foundational basics, which are to me, extremely exciting from the word of God. And uh, one of the things that I want to start by showing you is, and I, I find this to be a very, very interesting part of this. What I call, and this is, you know, if you're taking notes, write this term down. I call this um, the, the creator's original intent. 
And I find that to be extremely important when you're studying anything, anything. So the creator's original intent, I want you to write that down. And if you're taking notes, hey, Ken, uh, if you're taking notes, put it in the comments, the creator's original intent. So think about it this way. When God created the world and when God created man and woman, he created them with an original intention what he wanted them to do and what he wanted them to be as they were on the earth. And um, I find that extremely important because if you understand what God created you to do and who he created you to be, then you can know right off the bat, this is God's will for my life. And I think anytime you're going to form a belief system, a doctrinal belief system, you have to know what God's will is. What is God's will for my life? So I had you write this phrase in the comments, the creator's original intent. What was the creator's original intention when he created man and woman? Well, we need to start by looking at that because understand one of the things that God wants to do is bring us back to his original intention for creation. That's so important. Don't gloss over this, please, because this is so vital when you're understanding the subject of dominion. Knowing what God originally created and what he originally intended for you and for me. So we go to Genesis chapter 1, and we know what the Bible says. Uh, Let's go all the way down to, let's go, let's, you know what, let's go to verse 26. The Bible says, then God said, let us, I love that, that it says let us. Because that means he's speaking back to the Trinity. You know, anybody that denies the Trinity, I love that you go right here, first chapter of the Bible. What are you going to see? You're going to see the Trinity in action. Let us. He's not speaking to the angels. He's speaking to the other members of the Godhead. Let us. Remember this. We were not created in the image of angels. We are created in the likeness and the image of God. So when he said, let us make man in our image, He's not addressing the angels there. He's addressing the other members of the Godhead. He's addressing the word and he's addressing the Holy Spirit when he speaks. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock. This is Genesis chapter 1. And I'm reading from verse 26 and over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. (laughs) My dad's always preached, tell somebody next to you, you've got dominion and authority over creeps, (laughs) everything that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and female he created them verse 28 and god blessed them and god said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth look at this and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens over every living thing that moves on the earth you see that over every living thing and god said behold i've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit 
you shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life and given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he'd made and behold, it was very good. And there was the evening and the morning, the sixth day. So I want you to see this. From the beginning, we're looking in this chapter here at the creator's original intent. The creator, this is Genesis chapter 1, and this is verses 26 through 28, if you're wondering what the reference is. And it's so vital to see that what God did is that, and I love this, he created the world first. Get this. Created the world first, created a place for his man and his woman, created the garden, created the animals, he created the plants, he created every living thing that's on the earth, created the water. And then what did he do? After all of that was created and set in place, the last thing he did was create man and woman and give them dominion over all of it and told them to subdue it and told them to be fruitful and told them to multiply. And so I want you to understand this tonight. God's original intention for his creation was that they have dominion and was that they were able to subdue and then go on further. Look what he did. Let me ask you a few questions. You can answer me in the comments. When God created man and woman, was there ever any lack in his creation? Was there any poverty? And was there any lack? Somebody answer me in the comments. Was there any poverty and was there any lack? Or did they have plenty of food? Did they have plenty to, to not only subdue, but to actually uh, take control of, subdue, not just subdue that, but to actually govern? It was Adam's job to govern it all. No, that's right. Everybody's answering the comments. No, there was no poverty. There was no lack. So look at God's original intention. Plenty, more than enough, overflow. It's what they had. God gave it to them. Okay, let me ask you this. When God created man and woman, was there any sickness or disease? That's the second question. Was there any sickness? Was there any disease? Or were their bodies completely healthy and whole and incapable of dying. No, there was no sickness. There was no disease. There was no chronic depression. There were no anxiety attacks. There were no suicidal thoughts. They were simply beings made in the likeness and in the image of God and were incapable of dying at that point before sin entered in. The, the, the final question is, was there any sin? Did God create them with sin? No. God did not create them with sin. They were not sin beings, though they had a free will. They didn't get created in sin. So just stopping there and looking at these basic facts, that were the reason I had you write down at the, as a heading in your notes, the creator's original intent is because I want you to see what God's desire for a man and a woman was when he created them. His desire for a man and a woman was, number one, that they look just like him. That's number one. Let us make 
man in our image and in our likeness. Number one, God's desire was that his creation look exactly like him. So important that you get this. He didn't say, let's make them like the angels. We didn't come out with a thousand eyes going around the sides of our heads and wings. No, we're made in the likeness and in the image of God himself. God himself. And so number one, we were created to look just like him. Number two, we were created free from sin. This is so important. We were created free from sin. Creator's original intent. He intended for man to be alive and be completely free from sin. No question. No question. Number three, he created man to be completely free from sickness and free from disease. Completely free from sickness, completely free from disease. That's the third thing. And then number four, he created them completely free from poverty and completely free from lack. There was no run out. There was no lack. There was no poverty. They weren't barely getting by. They had so much. The world was filled with resources and it was theirs. It was all theirs. And so I want you to see this if you look, because this is where we have to start to talk about this thought about dominion and understanding your dominion. And by the way, if you didn't get a chance to share, do that, do that, because this is, this needs to be heard so badly by Christians today. He created them to look like him and be like him. And then if I, if I've preached on this before, but I'll mention it here, he breathed the breath of life into them and they became living beings, Adam. And then from him was taken woman, Eve. And so the breath of life, which scholars agree, the Holy Spirit The breath of God is the Holy Spirit. He breathed. Think about this because it's a point I want to make here as well. He breathed into Adam the Holy Spirit, which is what made Adam a living being. It's the same thing that brought Jesus back to life is the same that brought Adam to life, the Holy Ghost. The breath of God, we've covered this many times on the broadcast, the breath of God is the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says when he breathed into Adam's nostrils, he became a living being. So let me show you something else that maybe you've never seen before. Adam was the first Holy Ghost filled man. You may have never seen that before. You may have never seen that before. Adam was the first Holy Ghost filled man. You know why? It's God's intention that every one of his children be filled with the Holy Ghost. And so he breathed. You know, this is not something that's debatable. When you go to Bible college or seminary, you will take a course and a class we offer it in Miracle Word University. You will take a class called pneumatology. It is the study of the pneuma. Or if you want to know literally what that means, it means the breath or the wind. And it's talking about the Holy Spirit, the breath or the wind, the spirit of God. So pneumatology is the study of the spirit of God or study of the breath or the wind of God. And so that same breath, understand this, the same breath 
that created the worlds that we see is the same breath that went into Adam's body and caused him to go from being dust of the earth to a living being who now had control over everything by the power of the Holy Ghost that was within him. Adam was the first Holy Ghost-filled man. If you've never seen that before, I hope you see it tonight. That when the breath of life, hallelujah, came into Adam, he became a Holy Ghost-filled man. He was the what the Bible calls the first Adam. Then the Bible refers to Jesus as the last Adam. There's a parallel there. The first Adam sinned and lost his divine nature. But the last Adam did not sin and bought back the divine nature for the rest of humanity. You could, there's so many parallels between the first Adam and the last Adam. The first Adam ate and lost to the devil. The last Adam did not eat. He fasted for 40 days and gained victory over the devil. There's so many parallels between Adam and Christ that you can see one did the opposite of the other. And so, and that's something, DJ, that I never really uh, bother to to think about because, first of all, the Bible doesn't say it. Um, but the, but the same question could be asked, DJ, of Jesus, because we know Jesus was filled with the Holy Ghost, yet we don't have any scriptural evidence that Jesus prayed in tongues. We don't really have any evidence for it until the second chapter of Acts, but. What we know is Jesus was filled with the Holy Ghost, and we know that Adam was filled with the Holy Ghost. And so when you look at Adam, you have to look before the fall. You've got to look at what God's original intention was for his children. He wanted them to look like him. He wanted them to be filled with the Holy Ghost. He wanted them to be completely free from sin, wanted them to be completely free from sickness, and completely free from poverty and lack. And no question about it. No, well, I've always asked that, Brandon. Brandon's making a point here. Adam spoke straight to God face to face, so it was his language. Well, remember, you know, God doesn't speak in Hebrew. He's a spiritual being. He's not Hebrew. He's a spiritual being. So when you speak to God, how do you speak? I've asked that question, Brandon, of other preachers that have tried to uh, say, well, that's not true. And I said, well, then what language? Because there were no languages on the earth at the time. There were no nations. There were no people groups. There was just Adam. So what did Adam say when he spoke to God? What was he, what language was he speaking if he was not speaking a heavenly language? So you could get into all kinds of arguments and debates and thought process there, but I think it's very plain that Adam spoke to God before there was any earthly languages. He was the first man, according to scripture. And the Bible says they spoke and they fellowshiped in the cool of the day. So something had to happen as he was made alive and was filled with the Holy Ghost. He was able to communicate directly with God. So however that happened, it happened, but it did happen. And he was Holy Ghost filled and he was free from sin, free from sickness, free from poverty. So just, just starting there, I want us to start there because as you, as you go into this thought on dominion, one of the things you have to realize is that if God had an intention for man, it never changed. Get that. Because this, this, is, this is the whole, it all rests on this one fact here. God's desire for man has never changed. And I want you to write that in the comments because this is, this right here is the crux. Write it in the comments. God 
Never. God's intention for man has never changed. And I think that that is one of the most powerful things you could ever come to realize is that many times we have this idea about God that depending on what we do, who we are, uh, what dispensations we've gone through, whatever it might be, what different covenants uh, were enacted on the earth, whatever, that God somehow changed in every covenant. Or, you know, he acted differently with Moses under the Mosaic covenant than he did with Abraham before the law, than he did with David, than he did with Elijah, than he did with the disciples. And it's not the case. The Bible is very clear in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. He said, I am the Lord your God, and I do not change. I do not change. God is unchanging. And I think everybody that's watching tonight believes that. God is unchanging. He's unchanging. It says the same about Christ in the book of Hebrews. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so Christ and his nature don't change. God and his nature does not change. And so as you're writing it in the comments, God's intention for man never has never changed ever, ever. And so I want you to get this because it's so vital. There's never been a time ever in history that God wanted man to be defeated by sin ever. There's never been a time, never been a time. Let me go further because this one's taught differently. I don't think you could find a preacher. Maybe you could. Nowadays, you can find preachers that'll say anything. But I don't think you could find a a preacher worth his salt on the earth that would preach and teach that God wants his children to be bound by sin. I don't think you could find a preacher in his right mind that would believe that and preach that to you. God wants his children to be bound by sin. I think most I would hope all preachers that have a brain would understand God doesn't want his children bound by sin. And so most people are on the same page when it comes to that. But take it a step further as we go back to the original intention and think how many times you've heard this and remember what I'm about to say. It has never in history been God's desire that any of his children be sick or diseased. Never. Never, it's never been his desire ever that any of his children be sick or diseased. You won't hear that preached by some. You'll hear them say other things. Well, you know, sometimes God puts these things on us. You know, there's times God uses these sicknesses and diseases. Have you ever heard that? If you have, throw a hand in the comments. If you've ever had heard somebody preach or teach, that sometimes God puts a sickness onto somebody to teach them a lesson, to make them a stronger believer, to have them lean more fully upon him. You know, you've heard that kind of teaching. Raise a hand in the comments if you've heard it. Because I'm sure you have. It's taught by all kinds of people. And that's what they teach about God. Remember this. Remember this very carefully. And I'm going to say this as strongly as I possibly can. If God truly does do that, if he truly does do that, then God is working against himself. He's working against himself. Why do I say that? Because number one, 
if God is the author of some sickness and disease, and we know it's evil, we know sickness and disease is evil because Jesus came to heal it. Remember that. And Jesus is God. The word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is God. He's a member of the Godhead. So remember this, as Jesus came to the earth and healed all sickness and all disease, if some sickness and disease is from God for his own purposes, then remember this, at some point, Jesus was working against his father because as God was trying to use sickness and disease to teach lessons or to discipline some of his children, Jesus was going around healing them. And if Jesus healed all, you won't find, by the way, go through scripture. You won't find any places in the gospels, not one place where somebody approached Jesus by faith to be healed. And Jesus said, no, I'm sorry. That's, that's not for you. I can't, I cannot heal you. Because what you don't realize right now is that my father has put this upon you to teach you a greater lesson. You're not going to find that in the Bible. It's not in the scripture. It's not in the gospels. And so if there was a time that God is using sickness and disease as a tool, then remember this, Jesus, who always healed sickness and disease without ever checking to see if the sickness was from God, notice that. Jesus never did any kind of a test or ever prayed. Find me a scripture where Jesus prayed to his father and said, well, Lord, I I wanted to heal this person. Is there sickness from you or is it from the devil? Which one? Because if it's from you, I won't touch it. But if it's from the devil, I'll cast it out. You're not going to, Jesus never even prayed that to ask the father. He never did any tests. He never wondered if it was from the Lord. No, any time. Jesus met with sickness in the gospels. He treated it as an enemy and destroyed it. He healed the sicknesses and brought people into healing and freedom. Acts 10.38, which we read this morning in the broadcast, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good and healing how many? All who were oppressed of who? The devil. Who did the oppressing? The devil. In what form did the oppression come? Sick, diseased. That's the, that's the form of oppression that the devil brought. Healed all that were oppressed of the devil. Healing all healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So those that were oppressed needed healing. Those that came into contact with God and his son were experiencing the healing of the sicknesses that the devil brought. Think about it. He healed them all. He healed them all. He healed them all. And watch this. When Jesus did get to a place where he wanted to heal them all, but could not do it because they had unbelief and doubt in their heart, like the example in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 in Nazareth, he was extremely disappointed and irritated, and he marveled at their unbelief, and then went into all their surrounding villages and began to teach and preach in their synagogues. Why? Because faith comes by hearing, 
and hearing by the word of God. So what did Jesus do? Okay, if they've got doubt and unbelief, I'll come against that by preaching and teaching the word. And so catch this. There was never a time that Jesus checked to see if the sickness was from God. There was never a time that he prayed and asked the father, is this from you or how should I deal with this? He just in a blanket way healed them all because God doesn't bring sickness and disease upon his children. It is never God's desire that his children be bound by sickness and disease. Go back to his original intent. He created Adam with no sickness or disease. Eve, no sickness or disease. And the same is true with poverty and lack. Go back to his original intention. He gave them everything that there was. Everything. That was his intention for his children at the very beginning. What changed it all? The thing that changed it was that sin entered into the world through Adam's disobedience. Notice that I said Adam's and not Eve's disobedience. Notice that sin did not enter into the world through one woman, Eve. No, the Bible says sin entered into the world through one man, Adam. Adam brought sin in, Christ took sin out. And so uh, the reason for that is because of the dominion. God has an order of authority. He has an order of authority. The Bible teaches us what it is, even in the New Testament, that the husband has authority over the wife and over his home. So God didn't hold Eve responsible. It's not Eve. You know, Eve gets a bad rap. If you watch anything or listen to some things, people say, well, Eve ate that apple. Now, no, Eve was deceived, the Bible says. Eve was deceived by the enemy. But catch this, Adam was not deceived. Adam knew where she got the fruit and Adam willingly disobeyed God. It was not Eve's fault. It was Adam's fault. Adam is the one who willingly disobeyed God and he, by his own legal right. Now remember this, Adam was given, we just read it in Genesis chapter one, Adam was given dominion over the earth. He was given dominion and authority. God created it all, everything you see, and then turned it over to Adam. That's right. That's an excellent thought, Brandon. It's the difference between deceived and disobedience. Eve was deceived. Adam disobeyed. And notice that God had given the earth to Adam. And when he fell into sin, he transferred his authority and his dominion over to Satan, who deceived Eve. And then Satan became what the Bible calls the God of this world. That's what the Bible calls Satan, the God of this world. And so it was a legal transaction. God delegated the authority of the earth to Adam. And at that moment, Adam was the one in dominion. Adam had dominion over all the animals, the sea, everything in the sea, every plant, everything there is, Adam had authority and dominion over it. God transferred it to him. But the moment Adam disobeyed and fell, Adam had the ability to transfer that dominion then to Satan, which he did upon the fall. And that now Satan became the God of this world. Which is why, now think about this. I want you to think about it. Because people say, well, no, God's always been the God of this world. This world is the Lord. Oh, really? 
Well, if that's true, let me show you something. Let me show you something maybe you've never seen before. Um, go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Listen to this. Uh, let me go down. This is the temptation of Jesus, by the way. Temptation of Christ by Satan. Um, go with me to Acts chapter 4 and verse 8. Listen to this. Or excuse me, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 8. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him. This is, this is a telling verse. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, right there, that is a key verse in the New Testament when understanding dominion, a key verse. Highlight it, underline it, and understand what it's saying here. Uh, let me ask you a question you answered in the comments section. Do you believe that this was truly a temptation of Christ? In the comments, Matthew 4, 8, do you believe as a believer that this was a true temptation for Christ? Was he tempted in this way? When the, when the devil, when Satan said, look out, look at all of the kingdoms of the world, I will give them to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. Was it a temptation or was it not? The answer, of course, is yes. Yes, it was a temptation. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in all points, just as we are. But he defeated temptation in all of those points. Jesus was a man as well as God. The point Tanya is catching, the point that I'm making, is that it was Satan's to offer Jesus if, if Satan, listen, if Satan didn't own the kingdoms of the world, this was not a temptation because you know what Jesus could have said to, to Satan in this point, he could have said this, who do you think you are trying to offer me the kingdoms of the world? You know, as well as I do that they belong to my father in heaven, but notice it was a true temptation of Christ. Because Satan at that moment did have authority over all the kingdoms of the earth. Why did he have it? Because Adam transferred dominion, transferred it all to Satan. And Satan became the God of this world. He legally had received it from Adam. That's why Christ had to legally take it all back from the devil the keys of death, hell, and the grave. That's why Christ had to lead captivity captive and make a show of them openly. It's why he had to triumph over them. It's why he had to gain the victory so that we could once again have the victory and so that Christ could restore us into dominion again. We had to be restored into dominion because from the time of the fall of Adam, until the time of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the earth, or from, the, from the grave, man did not have dominion over the earth. But when Christ was raised from the dead and seated on the throne, he purchased back our dominion by that redemptive act and gave dominion back to his children. 
His goal was to restore us. This is so powerful, man. Get this. Catch this tonight, man. His goal was to restore us back to the creator's original intent. I want you to see this. It's a circle. It started with how God wanted it to start. We lost it. But then through Jesus Christ, he brought us all the way back to the creator's original intention. By winning the victory over Satan, over death, hell, and the grave, he purchased it back and then gave it to us. And this is so vital that you catch it because in Matthew 4, 8, if Jesus, you couldn't call this the temptation of Jesus if these things weren't really a temptation. But, but Satan, notice the reason that Jesus had to speak the word back to Satan was so that he could overcome that point of temptation. And obviously anybody's flesh, remember this, though Jesus never sinned. Now, this is something that you need to understand. Although Jesus never sinned in his life, not once, the Bible says he did not sin, nor was any guile found in his mouth. Even though Jesus never sinned one time in his life, Jesus could have sinned. Does that blow your mind to hear that? Because nobody talks about this, but it needs to be said. Jesus never sinned one time in his life, though Jesus could have sinned. I want you to know, it was not impossible for Jesus to sin. Of course not. That was the whole point of him being born in the flesh. You have to see this. He could have sinned, but he, he was like the prototype of the new creature in Christ Jesus. Think about this. He was the prototype of the new creature because though he could have sinned, he proved that it was possible to be flesh and blood and never fall into sin. That's, I mean, if that doesn't stir you up, man, I don't know what does. Jesus as a full man proved it's possible to live as a man and never, ever sin. So for any of these people that tell you, well, brother, it's impossible to never sin again. You know, we're all Christians, but brother, we all sin. I had one guy tell me, well, we sin every day. That's why I repent every night. I had a guy tell me that in Bible school. He said, well, sometimes I sin and I don't even know I'm sinning. And I thought, what? What? He said, oh yeah, sometimes we sin and we don't even know we're sinning. That's why I repent every night in case I knew I sinned or not. I said, you think you can sin? And the Holy Spirit won't tell you you're sinning? I said, what do you think? He sucks at his job? You think he went on vacation? That's crazy. The whole One of the main reasons the Holy Spirit came was to convict the world of sin and convict believers of their righteousness, the Bible says. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts if we sin. If you're sinning, <laughs> let me tell you something. If you're sinning and don't know you're sinning, you need to get saved. You need to get saved because your spirit is dead. You're a dead man if you're sinning without any kind of remorse. You're dead. 
No, we know when we sin. We know when we sin. And Jesus could have sinned. He could have sinned, but he didn't. Watch this. Adam was created perfect with no sin in him, but he sinned. Jesus was created perfect with no sin in him and never sinned. And never sinned. Listen, how if it's, you know, people say, well, you, you even after you're saved, we'll always keep on sinning until we don't have flesh anymore. That's not true. The Bible says you can live free from sin. Jesus himself said, be ye perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. How could you say that to anybody? How could you say that to anybody if it's not possible to do so? Jesus said, be ye perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. That's huge. You know what, you know what Peter said? He was quoting what the Lord, the Lord God said. He said, be ye holy, even as I am holy. Talking about the Lord. So you can, here's the thing that's powerful. You can be saved and never sin again. You can live in such a way that you're never living in sin. It is possible to get, I'm not saying that you can live free from sin your entire life. Everybody was born into sin. You started in sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need a savior. That's no question about that. But once you get saved, see, this is what this whole week is about. After you get saved, here's the misconception. Well, brother, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. There, find me that in the Bible because that's not in the Bible. I'm just an old sinner saved by, the, by grace. No, you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are gone, dead, passed away. And behold, all things have become new. You're not an old sinner saved by grace. God didn't come down through the, the Holy Spirit and just duct tape up your old broken spirit and so it can function and run till the rapture. That's not what salvation is. It's you being made into a brand new being. There never has existed anything like us ever, ever since Adam, nothing. Even Adam was not redeemed. We are the only group of people in history to ever be able to sing redemption story. Nobody. The angels haven't been redeemed. The Old Testament saints aren't redeemed. Adam was not redeemed. Nobody's been redeemed but the New Testament church. We have the ability to sing redemption song. That's why we're the ones that are called in Christ. Old Testament saints weren't in Christ. He hadn't come yet. We get the special uh, elite benefit of being in Christ. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this, it gives us, many people don't even know this. We get more benefits than you even realize by being in Christ. Did you know that we're the only ones going up in the rapture? Old Testament saints and their bodies will not go up in the rapture. The dead in, the dead in Christ shall rise. If you've never heard that preached, let me tell it to you tonight. One of the benefits that we have to being in Christ as the New Testament church we get to go up first in the rapture. The Bible says, and the dead in Christ shall rise. None of the Old Testament saints are in Christ. None of them. None of them. So yes, I understand, Andrew, that many people use that uh, for extreme Christian liberties and think that that means that it's impossible for Christians to sin. But that's not what it means. Nor does it mean that you can abuse the grace of God. Just because you step into a new creation reality and that you have this new uh, this new identity, it has it does not mean that it's impossible for Christians to sin. Of course, Christians can sin. 
Of course, they're able to. What I'm preaching is they don't have to. They're not bound by sin. They're not slaves to sin as he's referencing Romans chapter 6. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, sin shall no longer. Let's go there. We got got it because it's part of what I'm teaching. Go to Romans chapter 6, and this should be something in your Bible that is so underlined and so highlighted that it's about to fall off the page. Listen to this. Romans 6, 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Sin, now that Christ has purchased you back from the kingdom of darkness and made you a new creature in Christ Jesus, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. No longer. No longer. There's no, and and here's the powerful thought, is that every wicked thing comes out of the sin realm and is under the control of sin. Sickness and disease came out of sin and the fall of man. Poverty and lack did not exist until sin entered into the world and the fall of man came. That's why God even tells the nation of Israel in the Old Testament that those things are punishments that come upon them when they disobey God and go outside of his covenant. He said, well, the things that'll happen to you, he's trying to warn them so that they'll obey. He said, listen, I want to bless you. I want to make sure you're healed. I want to make sure that no sicknesses, no diseases come upon you. I want to make sure that you're blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when you come in, blessed when you go out. I'll open up my rich treasury in the heavens and pour you out a blessing. He says all those things. And he said, but if you disobey me and you go outside the covenant, the only things waiting for you outside the covenant are sickness and disease and poverty and lack and shame. So I'm warning you now, don't go outside the umbrella because that's the only thing waiting for you. And so what's he doing? Even under an Old Testament, even under, uh, yes, Noah will be in heaven. Even under an Old Testament system, even under the Old Testament system, he's still trying to make them look like his original intention. He's still trying to take sickness and disease from their midst. He's still trying to bring them into prosperity and success and overflow. He's still trying to keep their sins under the blood, even though it had to be the blood of bulls and goats. He still wanted their sins to be forgiven. What's God doing? He doesn't change. His nature doesn't change. His intention for man never changes. So even in their imperfect state without Jesus Christ, he's trying to find a way to bring them back to his original intention. No sin, no sickness, no disease, no poverty, no lack. Think how powerful that is. Even in that massive gap period where there was no Jesus. God did every single thing possible to bring those Old Testament people back as closely as he could get them to that original creation intent, which was no sin, no sickness, no poverty, no lack. And he had to do it in a temporary way because that's all he could do until Jesus came. We th- what do we think? Do we think God changed because we no longer have to offer the sacrifices of bulls and goats and lambs? Do you think God changed because we no, we no longer have to give blood sacrifices for our sins? No. Read the Bible. The Bible says the only reason we don't have to do that anymore is because the eternal lamb was slain and his blood is an ever-present sacrifice for our sins. The blood of Jesus never fades away. 
The blood of bulls and goats faded away and they had to do it every single year to cover the sins of the people. But the blood of Jesus doesn't fade away. It is eternal. It's an ever-present sacrifice for the sins of mankind. And when you accept what he did by faith, then you are under the blood and you're completely renewed. Your sins, remember this, in the new covenant, your sins aren't under the blood like they were under the blood in the old covenant of bulls and goats. Your sins, Jesus didn't shed his blood for the covering of sins. The Bible says Jesus shed his blood for the remission of sins. Remission is when you take something away and you don't have to cover it. Remember this. In the old covenant, when the the blood was shed, the blood covered their sins. Their sins were still there, but the blood, God looked at the blood instead of looking at their sins. He looked at the blood of bulls and goats, but it would be like when you, if you were a little kid and your parents said, clean your room and you just ran up to your room and shoved everything under your bed and shoved everything else into the closet and slammed the door. Well, your room's not truly clean. All the mess, all the trash is still there. It's just in a place where your parents can't see it if they looked in the room. But the mess is still there. The trash is still there. If they opened up the closet, the trash and mess would fall out. If they pulled out from under your bed, all the mess and trash would still be there. But what happens when your parents come in the room, they look at the bed and the bed covers the mess. They look at the closet door and the closet door covers the mess. In the same way in the Old Testament, the blood was applied through the annual sacrifice. And when God came and looked at them, he looked, the sins were still there, but the blood was over the sins, just like the closet doors in front of the garbage and the bed was over the mess and the sins remained, but he only looked at the blood, but the it's totally different now. It's not like it was in the old, in the old Testament, in this, in this dispensation, in this time, God's not just looking at the blood, but our sins remain. The Bible says that the the shedding of blood was for the remission, the removal of sins. And God said, I will take your sins and cast them into the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered no more. He said, I'll remove them from you as far as the east is from the west. And every wicked thing that was sent to steal your dominion comes from the sin realm, the wicked realm. You realize there was no sickness in the world until sin entered in the world. There was no poverty or lack in the world until sin entered into the world. Go even further. There was no death. There was no death in the world until sin entered into the world. And so sin is the substance that released every wicked attack of the devil onto humanity. But look at what the Bible says in where we just turned, the book of Romans, chapter 6 and verse 14. One of the most powerful verses you could read. Sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. Let me tell you, we are no longer... That's, that's the scripture I was referencing, Tanya, Hebrews 9, 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us, eternal redemption for us. It's not going to fade away. It's not going to pass away. It is once and for all and forever settled. Jesus said, it is finished. And now Paul wrote to the Romans and said, 
that sin shall no longer have any dominion over you. And so every wicked thing comes out of the sin realm. Sickness comes out of the sin realm, poverty and lack, depression, anxiety, every wicked thing comes out. So when Jesus bought victory and purchased our redemption by his precious blood, every wicked thing that the enemy used to use to destroy God's children is now under our feet by the power of God. And we've got total and complete dominion in this realm because of the blood of Jesus. And we cannot be destroyed and we cannot be defeated and we cannot be made uh, to be ineffective or our work will never be ineffectual because of the power of the blood of Jesus. We have been returned. See, this is Christ's desire to return us to the creator's original intention. Hallelujah. So what am I doing? I'm giving you the foundation tonight because if you don't understand this part of it, if you don't understand this part of it, you'll miss the rest of the week because once you realize what dominion truly is, It's not us sitting around claiming that we have things that we don't truly have, that we're some nut job sect of Christianity trying to lay claim to things that aren't even in scripture. It's all through the scripture. It was God's original intention for man through the whole Old Testament by his instruction, by the prophets, by the law. God tried to bring back his people to the closest thing he could to his original intention. And then he sent Jesus and Jesus was the bridge that would allow us to come back to the original intention of God's creation, to remove sickness and disease and poverty and lack, and most of all, sin and death from our lives. And that's what Jesus has done. And that's why Paul wrote to the Corinthians in the 15th chapter of the first letter, the 57th verse, and said, thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We always have the victory. I want you to write it in all capital letters in the comments right now. I always have the victory. I always, hallelujah, I always have the victory. Thank you, Jesus. I always have the victory. I can't, it's impossible for me to be defeated. I couldn't be defeated. It doesn't matter how hard the devil works. doesn't matter what he tries to do. I can't be defeated. I cannot be defeated. Impossible impossible. I cannot be defeated. That's it. Write it in caps. I always have the victory. You got it. I always have the victory in Jesus name. That's it. May is our month of miracles. May is our month of breakthroughs. May is our month of supernatural signs and wonders in Jesus name. I always, always, always have the victory. Everything's turning in our favor this month in Jesus name. I said, everything's turning in our favor this month in Jesus' name. We will finish the month of May with laughter and singing in our mouth. We will finish the month of May dancing before the Lord because freedom is coming to us. Breakthroughs are coming to us. Victories coming to us. Healings coming to us. Provisions coming to us. Peace and joy are coming to us. I always have the victory in the mighty name of Jesus. I always have the victory. (laughs) Hallelujah. I feel the victory. I always have the victory in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And so dominion is something that God intended from the beginning 
And it's something that was purchased back for us by Jesus. And now it's something we operate in by faith. Remember, just like anything else that we receive from God, dominion is no different. Dominion is no different. You have to receive it by faith. You have to live in it by faith. You have to walk it out by faith. You engage it by faith. It's never, remember this, nothing in the body of Christ is automatic. Nothing. Do you realize even your salvation is not automatic? Even after you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead and you're saved, your, your salvation does, ne- does not ever go on autopilot. Did you know that? Your salvation does not ever go on cruise control. If you'll read the book of James, written by Jesus' own brother, you will find out that your faith without works is dead being alone. That's why we don't believe in this hyper-grace garbage message. It's garbage. It's complete trash that's being taught to people all around the world today because what it does is it takes the responsibility off of the believer to live for Christ with their full heart and to be obedient to his word. This, this, this garbage message that's being preached teaches people that there's nothing that you can do that would remove you from your salvation and that after you get saved, your sins no longer matter and they do not affect your life for Christ, which is the furthest thing from the truth there could be. Let me just say something to you. If that's true, what I just said to you that is believed by the hyper-grace preachers and those that propagate that message, if that's true, what was the point of Paul the Apostle who wrote close to half the books in the New Testament and two-thirds if you count on the, the quantity of writing in the New Testament, what was the point of him writing back to all those churches and, and encouraging them to not live in sin any longer? If sin doesn't matter after you're saved, and if your sins, if your actions don't matter after you're saved, why did the Holy Spirit of God inspire the, the Apostle Paul to write all those letters to the churches, encouraging them to stay free from sin? Furthermore, why did Jesus himself show up to the churches of Asia Minor in the book of Revelation? Read chapters 2 and 3 and warn them strictly to return to the way that you used to love me. And if you don't, I will come back here and I will remove your candlestick from among the churches. Why did he warn them to stay free from sin and say, if you don't turn it around, I'm coming back and I'll remove you. Why did you, if sins don't matter, you know, these nut jobs preach, well, God doesn't look at you, brother. He looks at your life through the blood of Jesus Christ. If God doesn't look at your actions, then what business, what business did Jesus have saying to the churches, I know your deeds? That's, that's found in the book of Revelation. What business did Jesus say have saying, I know your deeds, and you've, you don't love me like you once did? Jesus said that. I know your deeds. Well, if we're not basing salvation on actions, anymore. If salvation doesn't require works or actions. No, let me, let me make a distinction because this trips up young believers that don't understand the Bible. So let me make a clear distinction here for those of you that are not 
You've not been long in the faith. We are not saved by our works. You can't be saved by works. It's impossible. Doesn't matter how many good things you do. Doesn't matter how much you uphold the law of Moses. Doesn't matter how much you obey the Ten Commandments. You can't be saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith. That's how we're saved. By grace through faith. But once we get saved, God expects some works from his people. Faith without works is dead, being alone. And so we have to take actions that back up our faith. And if we don't continue to produce fruit, the Bible says that we are cut off from the vine and thrown into a pile to be burned, John chapter 15. If we ever stop, and I don't mean you had a lapse in judgment or you made a couple mistakes. I'm talking about you've gone into a way of living of unrepentant sin and you you refuse to produce works of righteousness. If you refuse to produce works of righteousness, the gospel of John said, you'll be cut off from the vine who is Jesus Christ and thrown into a pile to be burned. Let me just say something. You can't be cut off from Christ if you were never attached to him in the first place. So anybody that watches this that says, well, those are people that were never really saved in the first place, or those are people that never really truly believed in Jesus. You can't be connected to Christ and receive what Jesus is, is explaining is the virtue of himself flowing through the branches so that they produce fruit. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So what the point Jesus is making in John 15 is you're connected me to me because apart from me, you could produce no fruit. So you're connected to me and now you produce it. But if you stop producing it, John chapter 15, if you stop producing it, meaning his virtue, uh, you're cut off from him, meaning his virtue can't flow through you anymore. And then you're no longer connected. You can't be disconnected if you were never connected. So for every person, so you've got two sides of the uh, of the you've got two sides of the spectrum here. You've got hyper grace believers that believe once you're saved, you can never lose your salvation because your your actions don't matter. But then you've got the other side of reformed Calvinists that believe that if you ever get saved and then fall back into a life of sin, you were never truly saved in the first place, which is also not true because how can you be disconnected from Christ? if you were never connected to him in the first place. So the main question is, who are all these people that Jesus is referencing in John chapter 15, where he says, if you stop producing fruit, you'll be cut off. My father will prune you and cut you off and throw you in a pile to be burned. Well, I got news for you. There's no Christians on the earth that are going into a pile to be burned. Those are people that are disconnected from Christ. And you can't be disconnected from Christ if you were never connected to Christ. Maggie asked the question on YouTube, how do you tell the difference between condemnation and conviction? I'll tell you how you know. It is people who condemn others. It is the Holy Spirit who convicts your heart. Please catch this. It is people who condemn. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts. So if a preacher's preaching to you like I am tonight and you feel the Holy Spirit pricking at your heart, it's not me condemning you. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm preaching the word. And if you feel that, that's the Holy Spirit convicting your heart of sin. 
But if you get somebody that comes up to you and starts speaking to you and speaking down to you, well, I can't believe you live that way and you've got real issues. People are condemning you for the way you're living, but they're not your judge. You understand the Holy Spirit will judge all. The, the, The Lord God will judge all at the end of time. Men and women can convict by preaching the word and then the Holy Spirit does the work. But when people start to con- speak down to you and condescend, that's the that's the co- condemnation of men. It's not the same thing. The Holy Spirit, and remember this, condemnation pushes people away from Jesus, but conviction pulls people to Jesus. Very important that you know this. Condemnation pushes people from Jesus. Conviction pulls people to Jesus. Very important distinction to make. But recognize this, every wicked thing sent to destroy you comes out of the sin realm. This is why it's important to understand the message of dominion, that you've got dominion over sin, you've got dominion over sickness and disease, you've got dominion over poverty and lack, and I'm going to deal with that this week because there's people that'll get on to the broadcast and even talk to other Christians and say, oh, you believe that riches is a sign of holiness and you believe that being financially blessed is a sign of, and and then they'll point and say, well, look at this, there's a bunch of, there's wicked people that have money. There's wicked people that are are blessed. Yeah, but you know what the difference is? The Bible says that the, Proverbs 10:22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow unto it. You understand, you can be Robin Williams and be filthy rich and kill yourself. You can be that chef, what was his name that went around the world and did uh did all those shows on the Food Network. Who was that famous chef that was found dead in his hotel room in France? Have all the money in the world. Have the best job in the world. Well, all you do is go to great restaurants around the world and eat the best food and do videos of it and still kill yourself. You know why? Because you can be rich financially and be extremely poor spiritually. But that's not not God's desire. He'll make you rich and add no sorrow unto it. Anthony Bourdain, that's right. So you, you understand, it's not riches alone. I don't, what good does it do to have riches and be on your way to hell? You you understand? What good does that do? What good does it do to have all the riches in the world and have stage four cancer and be on your deathbed? Does you no good? But the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow. You do the study for yourself. The average person that wins the, the mega lotteries, you know, the mega millions, what all the Powerball, whatever, within a year to a year and a half, they're bankrupt and have usually are on drugs and nobody will speak to them because luck brought them to a place that their character couldn't keep them. You understand? And so as a result, they got rich, but they can't keep it because sorrow comes with it. Sorrow comes. And I'll talk more about it this week because you've got dominion over poverty and lack. We'll cover it. I'm going to cover these different areas, dominion over sin, dominion over sickness, dominion over poverty. We're going to go into these things, dominion over depression and anxiety. Uh, Every night I'm going to deal with it. And I'm going to talk to you about how you have dominion over these areas of your life, dominion over relationships and relationship issues. I'm going to deal with that because there's Christians that have relationship issues and they think it's a curse from the devil and you just need to gain dominion. And I'll show you how to do that this week. We'll talk about it in these night sessions. But I've got to show you this baseline first, 
Because until you understand it's God's original intention, it's what he's wanted for you from the beginning. He never changed. He's always the same. And the same power is available to you tonight that's been available since the beginning of time. It's the power of God in heaven. And when you understand that, let me give you a heads up. It will bring you into total overwhelming joy and victory every day of your life without question. And that's God's plan for your life. This Dominion series is going to change somebody's entire life. It's going to change the way you live. It's going to change the way that you talk. It's going to change the way that you uh, give. It's going to change the way that you interact with God. It's going to change the way you interact with the devil. It's going to change the way you interact with other believers. Understanding Dominion, it's baseline. But I'm telling you, you, it'll change your entire life when you get into it. So it's one of the reasons I wrote Blood on the Door, so people could understand dominion over wicked things, dominion over sickness, dominion over terrorist attacks and danger. That's why I'm not sitting around here fumbling around my house for the last 30 days wondering how I'm going to make it if COVID comes on my block. I'm not worried about it. I understand the concept of dominion, and you can have dominion. And yes, Ariana, it is time to dominate. In fact, I like that. Everybody write it in the comments before we pray. It's time to dominate. It's time to dominate. Do you see anything? I mean, look at the life of Jesus. Did you see anything that dominated Jesus when he was on the earth? Is there any element that dominated Jesus? I'm talking about an evil element. He was dominated by love. He was dominated by compassion. He was dominated by the power of God and health. He was dominated by blessing, but Jesus wasn't dominated by depression or anxiety or disease or sickness. He wasn't dominated by sin or demon power. None of those things dominated Jesus. It's time to dominate. It's time to dominate in every area of life. And this, I'm telling you, this series, and we're going to, as we always do, we're going to post these in a YouTube playlist for you to binge watch and binge listen to later. And of course, they'll be on the podcast for you to go back and listen through just the meat of the message. And I'm telling you, you need to listen and re-listen and re-listen because this is a life-changing principle that's given to us by the Spirit of God so that we can win in every area of life. No question about it. Those of you, wherever you're watching, I want you to bow your heads and receive this prayer tonight as I pray for you. We're taking authority and dominion over every wicked thing that's been sent against your life. And I'm believing that by the time May comes to an end, can you believe this with me? That by the time May comes to an end, we will have seen the testimonies we've been praying for, no matter how long it's been prayed for. We'll see them in our hands by the end of the month. And some of us much faster than that. The healing we've been believing for, the peace, the joy, the financial breakthrough, the relationships restored. This will be the month where things turn around because May is our month for miracles. To quote the psalmist, all I do is win, 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 no matter what. (laughs) That's not actually in the Psalms for some of you that are older. Uh, But I want you to bow your head and let's pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I'll pray for your people tonight. I ask you, as our eyes are opened in the spirit, as our eyes are opened in the spirit and you show us things from your word, wisdom, revelation we've never had comes into us. We thank you that we're going higher than we've ever gone in the month of May. We are going higher than we've ever been. I take authority over 
everything that tries to dominate us, sickness, disease, poverty, lack, depression, anxiety, it doesn't matter what it is, sin, addiction, invisible prisons, I curse it in Jesus' name. I command it to loose its grip, loose its hold on God's people in Jesus' mighty name. And I thank you, Lord, that tonight, hallelujah, I feel the joy of the Lord. I thank you that tonight you're already moving behind the scenes before we called you to answer us. And you're already working behind the scenes to bring these things to pass. We thank you that this is our month for miracles. May is our month for miracles in the mighty name of Jesus. We give you praise and glory for your goodness and your mercy in Jesus' wonderful name. And if you believe it and you're in agreement with that prayer, throw some fire in the comments section and let me know that you believe and are standing with me and believing for miracles in the month of May. Somebody throw some fire up if you believe it in Jesus' mighty name. Take a minute, sow a seed tonight if you would. Do what the Holy Spirit's telling you. You know, one of the things, and I'll deal with it in the night that we we talk about dominion over poverty and lack, but uh, you can pray, you can fast, you can attend church, you can do all these things till you're blue in the face, but without sowing seed, there is no poverty or lack that will leave your life. Without seed sowing, there's no dominion over anything that would steal from you financially. See, Anytime we operate in dominion, as I said a moment ago, it's all done by faith. Faith actions take the dominion that we need to take. Faith actions. And there are different faith actions that are correlated with the the area. Do the explosion emoji if you feel it in your spirit. Be led by the Holy Ghost, Carissa. Um, (laughs) There are different faith actions that that correspond with different things you want to see. For example, if you want to see healing, one of the faith actions you can take is to have hands laid upon you by the elders of the church, James chapter 5. That's a faith action that gives you dominion over sickness and disease. That's just one. The same with sowing seed. When you sow seed, it's a faith action that gives you dominion over poverty and lack. Why? It brings harvests into your life. And so I want to encourage you to hear the Holy Spirit tonight and to sow a seed by faith that puts you in position for this month of May. And of course, all the uh, the methods to give are on the screen. You can see them on the screen. If you're listening to this on the podcast, you can literally scroll up to the description and click the link in the description of the podcast and sow a seed straight from there. MiracleWord.com is uh, the easiest way, in my opinion, no matter where you are in the world, to sow seeds. And we appreciate everybody around the world that's sowing, and there are people around the world sowing. We appreciate you very much, very much. And so I want to encourage you to take a minute to do that. Of course, you know, this month for everybody that's sewing, we're going to send you this powerful book by my friend, Pastor Alan Meshagan Jr., Heir of Power on the identity that you have with Jesus Christ to be his ambassador on the earth. And uh, this goes right along with what I'm teaching in this series. This will even shed some light on dominion in Christ and dominion in your in your life in the kingdom of God. Powerful, powerful book. And uh, I also wanted to say, not just this, but I've got something coming for those that are sowing $1,000 or more in the month of May. It's not just, you know, of course we send the Bible, but the hardcover edition. I'm so thankful for this. I'm so happy. We've never done it before. The hardcover edition of Further Faster is coming. 
Hallelujah. We've never done a hardcover before. And this is the very first one, but we're not going to sell it. It's literally something we're doing for partners. And uh, so there's a limited edition that'll be available. But if you've sewn a thousand or more, or if you are sewing a thousand or more, we're going to send you one and make it out to you. And uh, I'm so pumped up. They're coming very soon. Don't forget, by the way, before you log off tonight, that May is not just our month for miracles. May is our month for mustaches. And this is, we're calling it Mustache May. And so I'm getting pictures already from people. Uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go all the way till May 31st. And then on June the 1st, which is a Monday, we're going to show the pictures on the broadcast. Uh, and whoever has the best mustache, we're giving $100. A full C-note going to whoever's got the best mustache on the broadcast. It's got to be, here's the rules. It has to be a clean shaven face with just the mustache. If you've got a beard, if you've got... Uh, a goatee doesn't count. It's got to be clean shaven with the mustache. It's got to be grown out all the way till May 31st. And then, oh, I know I got must, I got pictures coming in already. I can't wait. We're going to show the photos. We're going to do a full slideshow and uh, see who the winner is. We're going to give prizes for first, second, and third place for mustache May. I'm going to do my best to try it. I can't grow facial hair that well, but we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I be honest with you. I'll do my very best. <laughs> I have to listen. I have to be the one that gets dominion over a mustache. I, 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 for some reason, I can't, I can't fully grow it. I can't fully grow it. I'll tell you what I did that really, <laughs> I told him, Maggie, I said, women, you're welcome to join us. If you can, I, I, I'm not saying anything, uh, by that. I'm just saying, uh, if you want to do it, do it. But I will say this, this really, really embarrassed Carolyn. Um, we were going, we were going to Disney world with the kids when they were a little. And, um, and so I had been growing out, it was in March and I had been growing out this mustache that wasn't that great, but, um, I looked so, I looked like insane. I had a tank top on that day, crazy shorts. And I had just bought a pair of, um, Crocs. So I had Crocs on these weird looking shorts. I, I had a tank top and I had grown out this little mustache but it wasn't very dark. So that morning I went into Carolyn's, I went into Carolyn's makeup and got the mascara and I colored that bad boy in. It was so dark. I looked like, uh, a child trafficker, to be honest with you, that owned a van with no windows and plenty of candy. It was horrible. Somewhere there's a picture floating around. I hope we can find it, but I'm going to do my best and see if I can't do it, uh, this month as, as well. Hopefully I don't have to uh, use, yeah, basically. Hopefully I don't have to use mascara again this month. <laughs> oh, so thank you to everybody, by the way. <laughs> That's sewing seats tonight. We appreciate you very much. Uh, I, <laughs> I'll be back. I'll be back in the morning, 1030 a.m. Not going to want to miss tomorrow. These These sessions, man, I've been enjoying them. And uh, God's touching people. By the way, if I didn't tell you, the Nonstop Mom mugs are back in stock. You can get them on the site, shop.miracleword.com, as well as the kids' tumblers. And check out this picture if Britt's on. Britt, are you on? Look at baby Lucy. That's one of the best pictures ever. I love it. Lucy Lukens, the new model for Miracle Word Kids. I love it. Absolutely gorgeous. 
Uh, and those are available in the store as well, shop.miracleword.com. And uh, they're all there. Everything's ready to go. <laughs> Isn't Lucy sweet? Look at that picture. Look at those cheeks. I see Jake in those cheeks. That's just me. That's her dad. <laughs> I see Jake in the cheeks. I love you guys, man. Have a phenomenal night. I'll see you again in the morning, 10.30 a.m. Have a great rest, and we'll talk to you soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.